We are under 100 days from the turn of the year. 2020 is right around the corner, and we want to help you on this episode. Start planning and thinking about different tactics and strategies that may not even be on your horizon or peripheral that need to be. On this episode, Beth and I break down seven tactics and strategies that we think are going to help you outperform your competition and propel you to be more successful in your marketing. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Williams and Beth Popnikoloff. All right, welcome everybody to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside my co-host, Beth Popnikoloff. And today we're going to be talking about planning for 2020. You know, the thing I love about strategic planning is it always gives you the opportunity to say, hey, what's worked well and what hasn't? And what do we need to be doing that we're not doing? What, what things are on the horizon that may present opportunities for us as a business to exploit, to try, to experiment, as well as to see results? And so today we're going to be talking about seven tactics that we see that are on the horizon for building materials companies and that they need to be evaluating regardless of size. We wanted to get this episode out a bit earlier in the year because as you're planning for 2020, we wanted to make sure that this was part of your conversation. So the very first thing we're going to talk about is just be aware, a bit of a buzzword, but we promise it's actually a really great idea. And that is omni-channel marketing. So like we said, total buzzword, but it's very, very important. I'm just going to preface this for all of our listeners. Like, I almost didn't want to include this one because I think it's such a buzzword. I fought for it. Beth fought for it. I think Beth is right. And it's why we're leading with it. So just stick with us. And Beth, how would you define, how would you define omnichannel marketing? So I would say omnichannel marketing is not just having advertising or investing in tactics on multiple channels, but having and ensuring that each of the channels where you're marketing or having ads that they all are driving at the same message and that they're interdependent upon each other. So people are having a seamless experience and you're helping them move through the funnel. This becomes more and more important as people spend more time online, switch back and forth more frequently between devices throughout the day. You want them to be encountering you, your ads, your message, your products, wherever they're spending time. I think you said two things there, Beth, that are really critical and why I was okay with including this. (laughs) But I think it's really important is that omnichannel marketing, the reason why I was concerned about including this is because if you don't really dive into really what it means, it sounds like you're saying, hey, we just got to be doing everything digitally and we need to be everywhere at all times. And that's not actually what omnichannel marketing is. The difference is if you were to take that approach and say, okay, we need to be everywhere at all times. That's correct. That's a part of it. But it's actually one step further. And Beth mentioned this, but it's creating a seamless experience for every customer or every potential customer. You're driving all of your messaging, everything at the same singular experience. And a great example of this, and I mentioned them before on the podcast, is Click Studios. They're a cabinet manufacturer. If you go to their site or you see their ads or you see anything online, they're trying to drive you towards having a call or conversation with one of their design experts to get their cabinets in your house. I actually, I took it upon myself to actually try this out one time. And I was so impressed with how every email, every ad, every piece of literature that was even mailed to me, all pointed me towards the same exact end goal. And so this may feel like a no brainer, but it takes a lot of discipline to say, you know what, we're going to focus all of our attention 
towards getting our customer or potential customer towards the same end goal. And so for them, it was like, let's get somebody on a call. Let's show them how beautiful our product can be. For you, regardless of what kind of you know business or manufacturer you are, drilling down your messaging and your ads and everything on your site towards one singular thing is really what Omnichannel is about. It's about saying, we're going to be in all these different places, but we want you to have the same type of end goal experience. And that, that experience obviously needs to be stellar, right? Zach, I feel like I can hear listeners' thoughts of like, you don't even know what you're asking for to get me to drive at one singular goal. Like we're part of these conversations with building materials companies all the time. And we understand the divided priorities. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult. What we would say is like, if your sales team is stressed about reaching the different goals and focusing strongly on each of the different products and priorities and customer categories, your customer is feeling stressed about the different ways you're asking them to take action. And if you make them stressed enough, they're just going to stop. Yeah, I think, and not to belabor the point here, but the fact that we're on so many different devices, I'm on my computer, I'm on my phone, I'm on my tablet, I'm on Siri, I'm on Alexa, like I'm everywhere. And we're going to talk a little about those different devices here in a minute. It's so critical for you to be in those places, but also have a very unified goal and message. Otherwise, it's like, hey, you're just kind of hoping for things to work. You know, it's not long gone of the days where you can just say, I just have some AdWords or I just do SEO or I just do email. We're bombarded by messaging and we've got to be really, really careful and thoughtful about what we're pushing our, our potential customers to do. The next thing that we'd recommend, and this is a trend that we're seeing, and we're going to, you know, frankly, we're going to continue to see going into 2020 and beyond is the emergence and prevalence of voice search and speech-based content. How many times a day do you like literally just talk to your phone or you talk to a device that's not your computer? One thing that we're seeing, and this, there's actually a lot of data out there about this, is that over 50% of all searches are going to be voice in 2020. The crazy thing, and this is something Beth and I were talking about in advance of today's episode, is if you think about voice, like you think about Alexa or Siri, it's the one area of technology right now where there's not a lot of ads. Like I don't go to Alexa thinking like, I'm going to get an ad here. But over time, you're going to see that they're going to somehow find ways to monetize this. The thing that they're going to be careful about is whether it's Siri or, or Alexa or another device that you're talking to, they're going to be really careful about how they introduce advertising because they don't want to happen what happened to radio. Like the second you're an ad on radio, you're like, click, move, change station, whatever, you know, like we've shifted beyond that type of convenience. The other thing which we actually get asked a lot is how do I rank on voice search? So people want to know, how do I get my products to come up when people ask Siri or ask Alexa a question? And the thing is right now that Siri and Alexa are actually pulling from Google results. So what that means is you want your products to be ranking for natural speech terms. And we did talk a bit about this in the beginning of the year in our 2019 predictions, but it's really interesting. I think in 2019, it was 30% of search results were voice. And in just one year, it's moving to half which is just phenomenal. Like that's an inc like exponentially increased. Yeah. A good tool to use for this too, Beth, is answer the public. Yeah. You go to Google, you search for answer the public. Man, we love that thing. I know. I love that thing. It shares with you. If, if you enter your product category, you enter a term, it's going to share with you how people search around that term. Like what are the different ways they search for it? So let's say you do house wrap, you know, you're going to see things like how much does house wrap cost? How do I install house wrap? What are the house wrap alternatives? What are the competitors? Like you're going to see all of the questions that catalog, the questions that people ask Google. 
And for me, if I'm in the building product space, this is, this is a really uncharted territory for a lot of companies. But the reason why it's so important is if you think about how people find products, text-based searches, like ranking organically on Google, is becoming harder and harder. Not to mention Google is introducing more ads and different types of search content in their ranking page. And so if you can prioritize some of your SEO and some of your content around voice-based searches, you're going to find that that's going to open up new doors for you down the road around people discovering your product in a way that maybe your competitors are not because there's not as much competition. Let's say you manufacture fire-rated insulation. Four years ago, two years ago, we would really just focus around those kinds of search terms. Fire-rated insulation, insulation with sans fires. But now you want something that's going to be closer to how a human would ask a question. What type of insulation is the best to withstand house fires? What type of insulation is the least likely to catch fire in a home fire or in California even, if you want to get region specific? It's how is a person asking a question instead of what is like the group of two to three key terms that you want your product to rank for? So the second part of this trend that Zach mentioned at the beginning is the prevalence and growing prevalence of speech-based content. So what that means is one of the most recent changes Google has made to search results is podcasts actually now rank in search results where you can play them within search. Instead of just generic, maybe Apple podcast shows come up, you can actually play them within the search page. And it's more and more frequent that content that has nothing to do with text is being searched for and shown within search results. And the same actually goes for videos. So those two mediums, podcast and video, have nothing to do with text and are only exponentially growing in popularity as in people searching for and engaging with those types of content. Which leads really well to our third trend or shift here, Beth, that I think is really important to know about is the changes that we're seeing in traffic drivers. Traffic meaning How are you getting people to your site? How are you getting them to discover you? The three big areas that we're seeing is obviously we mentioned voice and video and Beth mentioned audio being indexed. And the the third thing we're seeing is obviously social. So if you combine all three, voice, video, and social, there's an emergence of voice and video now being indexed, whether Google is transcribing that and ranking that effectively. But social, and a lot of manufacturers we talk to in companies in the building material space are seeing this. Social, there's actually a decrease in traffic from social. And this is actually really intentional on the part of social media platforms like Facebook and like Instagram, because what they want to do is they don't want people to leave their site. They want people to stay on there. And so this is why it's become a bit of a pay to play, but you have to find new ways to rank in areas that people are not and drive traffic. The other thing you'll see from a traffic driver standpoint, like if you just go, go to Google and search for smarter building materials, marketing podcasts, which is a bit of a mouthful, right? (laughs) (laughs) Go there and search for that. And what you'll notice is that a lot of the different search results now, and Beth mentioned this a little bit already, it's, not, it's nothing to do with text space. You'll see video ads that we have. You'll see videos of the podcast. You'll see actual audio results. You'll see links to the iTunes podcast store. So the reason why I bring this up is that the way that that traffic is being driven to sites is changing. And this just comes into play in how Google's actual page, the search results page is actually being finessed and changed over time. It just means that it's harder to rank organically. It shouldn't say just harder, but it doesn't necessarily bring as much return as it once did because there's so many different types of content that are being indexed and shown. And that's why, back to our 
point about omnichannel, you've got to make sure you have a presence across the board. Zach, that's like the perfect segue to our next topic, which is to talk a bit more about what's changing in search results, because there's been a lot of changes in the last 18 months. One of those changes that I'm sure everybody has seen and probably interacted with is what's being called zero-click search results. So what that refers to is when you type a question into Google, you actually get the answer on the page, which is a good and a bad thing, right? So that means it's decreasing not only the traffic, but also actually interestingly decreasing the value that they can charge for some specific AdWords because those AdWords no longer return the same kind of volume of traffic as they did before. A little bit of a double-edged sword there for Google, but it's an important thing because it's still a wide open market for the building material space. So what we would recommend is if you have a complex product or an alternative material, that is an excellent place to have really simple answers for the questions what is XYZ? How does XYZ compare to standard product material? You're more likely to get pulled in for those snippets. But if you have quick answers, quick steps, you'll often see that. And then also what other questions are being asked a bit farther down, like those four or five questions that you can click the drop downs on. Are you answering those types of questions and answering those types of questions through content on your site as well? Yeah. I mean, there's some developmental technology things that cause those rich snippets to be indexed. A lot of it has to do with how your page is coded and structured from a development standpoint. And yep. I don't want to lose any of our listeners. So we're not going to dive into the specifics, <laughs> but, <laughs> but frankly, Beth, like there's times that we structure sites with those rich snippets in mind and Google just doesn't even grab them. They grab something else completely. And you're like, all right, whatever. Like Google's going to do what it wants to do. And it's going to test things out. But understanding what people search for, like that kind of comes back to answer the public and some of those ways that people search for voice, understanding how those snippets are being indexed and shown can position your organization and drive traffic potentially as well. One other thing too, to notice, and this is really important for anybody in the building material space, is if you look at what's happening in Google search results around local specific service providers, meaning I'm a roofer, I'm a contractor, I'm a plumber, someone like that, Google is now getting into the area of lead generation for these types of individuals. They're making the local specific organic ranking. They're pushing it further down on the page, which means there's fewer organic leads to be had. Again, it's getting into that pay to play. And so I'm just bringing this up to say, if you're a manufacturer, or you're somebody who interfaces with the contractor, the pro on a locale specific standpoint, like you're in Atlanta or you're in New York or you're in Dallas or something like that, go and just search for one of the, like the different types of providers or pros go and search for like Dallas plumber or Dallas roofing, roofing contractor, roofing replacement. What you'll notice is you'll see ads. You'll see the local three pack. You'll potentially, if you're on mobile, you'll see call only ads. And what this means is that all of those organic listings are being pushed further down on the page, which if you're a contractor who lives and breathes and dies by these ads, you've got to make sure you rank well. And as a manufacturer or someone that interfaces with them, it's really important for you to communicate these changes because it's going to have a direct impact on your bottom line because they got to buy your product and install it, right? So all of that being said, you know, understanding how these, the search results are changing is really important. We probably will have a separate podcast just about this because it's so important, but we do want to make sure that you're aware of 
the fact that Google is constantly trying to optimize the experience of search engine ranking page in order to make it easier for the end user. The next area that we would recommend anybody, I don't care who you are, anybody needs to be on is LinkedIn. I know we have our big training coming up here in November, and this is not a plug towards that because the event is actually sold out. But if you look at what's happening on LinkedIn, it's very much similar to what Facebook was five, six, seven, eight years ago. Meaning if you post something, the opportunity for organic reach for other people to discover that is very, very high. That's not always going to be the case, but I am so bullish on LinkedIn right now because of how easy it is to interface with decision makers. And it's not oversaturated or frankly, it hasn't been killed by marketing or salespeople yet. It's important to note that LinkedIn isn't just a content promotion platform. You should be doing more on there than just simply posting blog articles that have been written recently. We really view it as an amplified CRM. Your audience is active and alive on this platform and actually looking for these B2B thought leadership type conversations. They're asking questions. They're making comments. There is ample opportunity for your company and the leaders in your company to be active on there and making headway for sales by building relationships. And obviously you don't want to be on there and just offering your product as the solution. You know, we always preach value first, but there is such an incredible opportunity to answer questions that are being asked by your audience on behalf of your company, building those relationships, building those bridges and getting steps towards making sales and really ultimately even growing your contact base and your market share. The other thing too, Beth, just to, you know, button this one topic up around LinkedIn is, you know, LinkedIn has content promotion. It has sales outreach and sales enablement. And there's also the ad platform. And a lot of people and you know, Venvio too, like we look at that cost, the ad platform, we're like, oh my gosh, it's so expensive comparatively to other platforms. But there's no other platform out there where you can say, hey, I want to target these types of decision makers only and get in front of them in a B2B context. And so although it's more expensive and is time consuming, potentially the return is goodness. Like it's just, there's so much opportunity. And so if you're not experimenting in that platform and not putting emphasis there, there's a lot of opportunity heading into 2020. You know, five, six years ago, Beth, we started getting asked to develop and build interactive visualizers, and interactive content by some of our clients. And at the time I was like, oh, this is a really interesting thing that may go away because, you know, where people are spending time online is being spread out. They're not spending as much time on one particular website. You know, that could be further from the truth. Like the thing that we're seeing is that there is a higher demand for very interactive, personalized tools and content on websites. Now, the reason being is that there's so much information out there that if you're not creating a very tailored, customized experience for your user, it's becoming harder to interact and engage with them and get them to that point of sale. Like if you think about the website, the websites, you know, a couple of years ago, it's like, let's drive a bunch of traffic to them. And then let's hopefully our users will convert. And now what we're seeing is that if you've got tools and you've got additional dynamic, personalized elements, whether it's a visualizer, a calculator, something of that nature, interjected into your experience, it's making that buyer decision, the buyer journey, that much easier for your end user because you're helping them solve the problems that they're running into. And it's making it unique to your brand in a way that no one else can compete. And so this is a trend and a shift that we think there's going to be even more, that there's going to be even greater need for moving into 2020. 
because users want convenience, people want convenience. I don't care if they're building products or in some other sector. And if you can help solve some of those problems quickly, you're going to be at the forefront of some of their decision-making. This is often referred to as interactive content. If you're looking for what trends should you be aware of in 2020, you've probably seen that term come up quite a lot. We actually refer to it as actionable content. I think if you call it interactive content, you tend to think of it more as like a BuzzFeed quiz, which makes it feel like it doesn't apply to building materials. But if you think about it as actionable content, people are coming to your website or going to your social media platform or engaging with your ads because they have a specific intent. They have a question that they want to be answered. These calculators and product visualizers or even things like augmented reality apps, like I think we've talked previously about Ikea's app that lets you see visualized furniture in your space, or I believe it's Bare Paint has a similar one for putting paint on your walls to see what the paint is going to look like in the different rooms. So all of that is not just entertainment-based. It's not just for fun. It's because people have these questions that they need to have answered. And I think if you just possibly switch you're in the mindset behind it a little bit, it becomes a lot more pertinent to create this kind of content versus calling it interactive content that just makes you feel good and, you know, makes your website a little bit more fun. Yeah. Like Beth, I was doing some research on just e-commerce as a whole. And if I go outside of building products, what's very interesting is a lot of the experiences I'm seeing online is like this very customized approach to getting a product. So like if I'm in cosmetics, for example, like people will ask you a bunch of questions and then show you the right product. Right. They're just trying to make the experience feel very custom and personalized without a lot of effort from a development standpoint. Well, similarly in the building material space, Zach, one of the complaints that we know we get from end consumers specifically is just their general confusion about not being able to differentiate from product line to product line within one manufacturer not to mention the complexity of comparing manufacturer to manufacturer or building material company to building material company. It feels like apples and zebras. It's not even apples and oranges. They don't know where to begin or end. So if you could help someone down the line under the similar steps of like, you know, is your home two story or one story, or, you know, is it a new construction or remodel or whatever question needs to be asked to get them to understand the best product for their project and just remove that friction, you are going to be miles ahead and it will be a very familiar experience to them as well. Agreed. All right, Beth, why don't you wrap up this episode and share with us the last tactic that we recommend? And this is something that's near and dear to our hearts, but there's some changes coming ahead that we want to share with you. Okay. So at the risk of becoming the chatbot agency, <laughs> we think chatbots are important. <laughs> well, well, to your point, here's the thing, you know, if you're listening Chatbots are something that we've seen in emergence over the last year or two. The thing that we're seeing that's going to happen is a cross-platform capability set of chat, meaning I'm on one platform and that chat is going to extend in other platforms. One thing that we think is going to happen that hasn't happened yet, for example, is if you look at Facebook Messenger, we think that they're potentially moving that over into Instagram as well. And you're also going to have ads directly into chat as well, meaning I may have be on Facebook Messenger, I'm talking to a brand or a company, and then I'm over in Instagram and that conversation is continuing to happen. And so that conversation that we're trying to have with that end customer is more seamless or congruent across multiple different places that I'm on. So I could be on my computer starting it on my phone and then finishing it on a completely different platform. 
And so if you don't have some sort of chat strategy, it's something to be thinking about because it's going to become even more prevalent and something people are used to and comfortable with. The other thing that chatbots do is they just answer all of those questions that honestly are gumming up your customer service line. One thing we've seen is being able to speak to those questions in a way that feels very timely, keeps people from having to dig for an FAQ page, keeps people from having to call your customer service line or heaven forbid, fill out your contact form and who knows when they're getting a response about what we see as actually typically very bottom of the funnel questions or even using it as an introduction to a get a quote form. So similarly to what we were just saying for the interactive content, if you have quite a lot of lead up to be able to get to the right product or understand if you're the right fit for a project, using a chat bot to guide somebody through those types of questions is the perfect opportunity to minimize their friction, decrease the volume of, frankly, unnecessary conversations that your customer service or sales representatives are having, and then also get them to the sale quicker. I mean, that is, as Zach likes to say, a win-win-win. It's a win-win-win, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, we hope these seven strategies and tactics will help you as you're planning for 2020. And if you've got any additional ideas or things you want to bounce off us, always feel free to shoot us a note at podcast at venvio.com. We get questions all the time that people come in and say, Hey, I, you know, I heard you talk about this. So I just had an additional clarifying question. Always feel free to do that until next time. I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Pompnikolov. Thanks everybody. You've been listening to Smarter Building Materials Marketing with Zach Williams and Beth Popnikolov. To get the resources mentioned in this podcast, visit venvio.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.